In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. I'm sure you're well familiar with the, the mystery of the Annunciation. It's an event, a moment in time, something that, that actually took place and is at the beginning of the Gospel of St. Luke. It was a direct communication between God, who came in the form of an angel, the angel Gabriel, and transmitted himself directly in the Holy Spirit. It was really the beginning of the good news in all its forms, and it can be seen uh, or can be thought of as a kind of a precursor to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles later on. Here he comes upon Mary, and he imparts really the gift of all gifts, he imparts the Divine Son. It is the Father who sends. He sends His Son, and it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that she is conceived. It's the direct action of the Blessed Trinity right there. Now, through the Spirit's work in the Church, you could say we all experience the same thing. That is, this action of the Holy Spirit is no longer now unique to Mary because we too, in some way, become Christophorers, Christophoros, which means we become bearers of Christ, both by the words we, we use, but also by the fact that we can receive him in the Holy Eucharist. But... This moment is the mystery of Christ's incarnation and transforms human realities and converts them really into channels of supernatural life. It's probably one of the most important events in salvation history. And as you know, it has been represented in innumerable ways throughout the centuries some of the earliest paintings show Our Lady in the moment of the Annunciation. Maybe you've seen a famous 15th century painting. It's called the Merode Altarpiece by an artist. At least they believe it's he who did it. His name is Robert Campin from 1425. It's in the Cloisters Museum in the, the Metropolitan in New York. And... Uh, I still remember the first time I saw this. It was, uh, I didn't see it live, I saw it on a slide, but uh, it shows our Blessed Mother in a, in a room. She seems to be taking up a lot of space in the room. But it, the room looks like a quaint little bourgeois setting. And uh, it's filled with all kinds of objects and symbolism. And uh, as you go through it, you can identify the different symbols. There's a, there's a snuffed out candle, which is 
perhaps the symbol of the end of the old regime, the Old Testament. There's a little lion uh, sculpted on a stool, which is the symbol of the Lion of Judah, referring to Christ, who's the Lion of Judah, and um, a number of other numerous little objects. There's there's a prayer shawl there indicating that she is she's praying. On the right panel, there is uh, Joseph, who is actually making a mousetrap, a strange little mousetrap that has a little box and a little door to coax the mouse to go into this little door, and then once he's in, blank, the, the door comes falling like a guillotine on the mouse. And it is said that the incarnation was like, was like the mousetrap for the devil. The devil gets coaxed into thinking that this is uh, okay, and then it's, in the end, what destroys the devil. And it is, it is Joseph, who is the carpenter, who is making that. It's a symbol of the incarnation, of the power of the incarnation. And so as you're looking around these different symbols, the, I remember the, the professor who was going through this, we see this painting, it's okay, very nice, and you can tell some of the symbols, and there are many others. And, and then he says, well, I want you to look up to the left in, through the window. There's a window there with seven rays of light streaming through this kind of round window. And we notice, yes, indeed, there's a window, rays of light, okay. And, uh, but then he said, I'm going to show you a close-up now of that, those rays of light. Next slide, please. And he shows the next slide. And there you see, coming through the rays, on one of those rays, you're going, what? There is a little baby Jesus flying in on a small little wooden cross. And he's a naked little baby Jesus. And he's going in there. And uh, the professor explained that, of course, Mary, from the angel, had heard the greeting of the angel. And when she said her fiat, well, at that very moment, the child came in through her ear. Through her ear, because, of course, she didn't have relations with Joseph. So where, how else could he get in there? Through her ear. You see? And uh, we were all looking at each other. I said, we said, what? Is this possible? And indeed... Uh, uh, the, there are many other, not many, but there are a number of other paintings that show uh, this miniature little Jesus flying through the air. And, of course, he, he is coming in to this world in order to suffer, in order to die on the cross for you and me. And he came in listening for her, listening to, and, and he came in through her ear, her docile heart. And uh, sometimes some of these paintings show the baby Jesus pretty big, and you get to think, oh, how is he going to get through in that, that ear, you know? But, uh, but uh, it, was a, it was a way of teaching or a didactic way of showing that Jesus came in there in a way that was without the intervention of man. And uh, it was not a human intervention, it was a divine intervention. But of course, later on, after these paintings were done in the 15th century, they ceased being done like that, that is, with the little flying baby Jesus, little Superman coming in there, because uh, it, it seemed as though Jesus kind of came from outside. You know, he came in, I don't know, out of nowhere, and uh, it, what, when, when the angel said he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, that means he was really conceived right from inside her. He just... Bang! He just appeared there. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't need to come in from outside, as though he were somehow far away, and he didn't even need to go through a window, right, or through rays of light. But of course, those are all ways in which artists try to, you know, explain this this great mystery. And so he prepares, of course, for him to come in there and to appear in there. He prepares his coming and the gift of, of life for mankind. He had to do that in a creature of singular beauty, of singular pureness. The Virgin of Nazareth, we know as Mary, chosen to be the mother of God. And uh, one way in which she was prepared, or perhaps one way in which she was beautiful, was not simply her external beauty. I mean, all paintings show her externally beautiful. That was definitely there. But that external beauty was an echo of something deeper. It was an internal beauty that came from the fact that she had a deep contact with God, and that came through a fluency in prayer. She understood that language, the language of prayer. She was fluent in that in prayer, in that language. You could say she had a clear contact with God all the time. There were no distractions. There, were no, there was no static oh, interference. Everything was clear. The, the bandwidth was clear and open. And there were no words from God that she did not understand. She, she was like somebody... You know, she, when, when, you know, when you speak to somebody in a foreign language, you, you hear them and you hear maybe pick up a few words, but you don't really understand them, right? And sometimes they have expressions that don't seem to make sense. But she heard everything, and, and, uh, and she simply gazed at this angel who appeared there, also with beautiful luminosity. And uh, perhaps uh, as we picture the scene of the Annunciation, it's very important that we in some ways conjure this scene up. We don't know what the angel looked like, if he was just like a beam of light, if he actually looked like a human form or something. Traditionally, it's, he's been represented like that. But, but look at your life. You know, where does God call you? Where does he speak to you? Do you hear him? Or is there static distraction or constant notifications? Um, and... Notifications of, you could say, secondary things. That's what we have to examine. Or if I'm able to overcome procrastination, if I can maybe, during this novena, be more generous in family life, a better student of my studies, better in my responsibilities. Well, the angel comes in there and he announces something to her. He does not use the, the usual... Salutation. The usual salutation among Jews was shalom, shalom. Right? In fact, when I called my mother's uh, uh, long-term care residence, they always called shalom. It's a Jewish long-term care facility, so they always start with that. And that normally would have been the, the normal greeting, shalom, which means peace. But instead, here's the Greek, kaide, which translated in English would be hail, Hail Mary, or the real meaning of Kaire, the Greek Kaire, is really rejoice, rejoice. And, you know, because this is a new, this is a real reason for rejoicing. And he tells her, 
as you as you recall here, hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will be you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Normally it was not the woman who chose the name, it was the man. So this was this was surprising. And he she he said, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? How can this be? Sometimes it says, How shall this be done, because I know not man? This is one of the most uh, puzzling and uh, difficult uh, passages or, or lines to understand. Because she doesn't doubt that God's will is going to be done. She doesn't ask for proof like Zechariah. Nor does she stipulate some conditions before she accepts. Right from the first beginning, right from the first moment, her self-giving is already absolute. Nevertheless, she, she asks a question because she wants to know, really, how God's plans can be, how she can fully identify herself with God's plans. But it's clear that the question, how can this be done, because I know not, not has mystified theologians and fathers of the church for centuries. And nobody's come up with a, let's say, a convincing answer. Like Augustine said, well, well, she said that because uh, she made a vow of virginity. Yeah, but nobody did that. Nobody. This was not like, this is not like the 20th century, you know, where women do do that. You know, the Jewish custom was not to do that. It was quite the contrary. If you wanted to be, you know, even close to the people of God, you, you just didn't do that. And, um, some say that at this point, you know, since she was not yet taken into the marital home and she had no dealings with men, yet she saw the task as being immediately pressing, like it had to happen now, that this is what led to her doubt. But that still fails to convince because the time when she was, could be taken in was going to be pretty close, not far off. So it remains a riddle. And the angel explains that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Ah, okay, now she understands. And immediately as she understands, she says those famous words, Ece Ancila Domini. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. And that expresses her total self-giving to God. She does not remain locked in the mystery or paralyzed by not understanding. 
and really she shows a very basic attitude, right, which is what we need in order to discover our vocation. And to keep it, we keep it burning brightly, so that we can keep it burning brightly until the very end of our life. She now understands that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her life. The Holy Spirit will not come in like a zap, and certainly He will not come in to zap in a little baby Jesus flying in on a cross, kind of just being fired in there once. He will overshadow you, the angel says. He will overshadow you. This language belongs to the theology of the temple, of God's presence in the sanctuary. The the overshadowing was the sacred cloud, what they called the Shekinah, this invisible presence, yet the visible sign of God's presence, the Shekinah, the cloud. When you saw the cloud in the tent, that was you know, the most sacred and holy of holies. And so the angel is saying, that Shekinah, that cloud, will overshadow you all your life. And so it's as though Mary is now the new holy of holies. She's now the new living tent. And God chooses now to dwell uh, in her, in a, if you like, and therefore among men in a new way. At the same time, the mystery of the triune God is evoked here, of course, in this Annunciation message, because it is God the Father who acts, promising that David's throne will endure, and and now appointing the heir whose kingdom will have no end. David's definitive heir, whom the prophet Nathan had foretold when he said, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Well, we know that after this, everything changed. But it only changed once the angel departed. Pope Benedict, in his, his book on the infancy narratives, says something quite beautiful. He says, um, I consider it important to focus also on the final sentence of Luke's Annunciation narrative. The angel departed from her. The great hour of Mary's encounter with God's messenger, in which her whole life has changed, he says, comes to an end, and she remains there alone, with a task that truly surpasses all human capacity. There are no angels standing around her, She must continue along the path that leads through many dark moments from Joseph's dismay at her pregnancy to the moment when Jesus is said to be out of his mind right up to the night of the cross. There's so many dark moments. How often, he said, in these situations must Mary have returned inwardly to the hour when God's angel has spoken to her, pondering afresh the greeting, rejoice, full of grace. And the consoling words, do not be afraid. Well, the angel departs, but her mission remains. And with it, 
matures her inner closeness to God. A closeness that in her heart she's able to see and, and touch. And it's beautiful to consider that you know, God says to us also in our vocation, rejoice. He's staying with us. He's saying, I have chosen you. Would that all of us here be able to acknowledge that and say that this is true. You have chosen me, Lord. For some, it means harking back to that moment when they said, I do. That's like two lines, uh, two rather, two words that has monumental importance. Well, it's four words because the other one also had to say it, right? So, I do, I do. But my experience when presiding over marriages is that the wedding vows, even if they're just a couple of lines, they just break up. They can't do it. They just can't say it. So, all they, so the priest says it and all they have to do is say, I do. I do. That's enough. Because some, sometimes they, they say long wedding vows and but they just get, you know, just get broken up by it because of the, the, the transcendence of that moment. So they say, I do. And everybody around them is moved because they have consented to a lifelong marriage as well as opening up the doors to receiving life-changing grace of that sacrament. That's for marriage. So for those who, who go through let's say, dark moments in their marriage, we have to invite them to think about that I do, in which a whole flood of grace was opened into their life. And it can mature them and bring them closer to God. For others, it will be not necessarily marriage, but giving themselves on a lifelong mission in the church, in the middle of the world. Of course, for others, it's priesthood, religious life. But as a consequence of this interaction of the angel with Mary, the next thing we are told is that Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the city of Judah. And going with haste is the same phrase used with regards to the shepherds at the birth of Christ. They go with haste when they hear the angel announce to them. They too go with haste because they are driven by joy. How many Christians today make haste when it has to do with the things concerning God, the norms of piety, time of prayer? Do, they make, do you make haste to come down for Mass? And of course, we have to make haste. When, it's, when it regards to things of God, we have to make haste because it's an expression of deep joy, deep sense of meaning. Of course, make haste for other good things in your life as, as, as well. There are many other things. She goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth declares her the first beatitude, not blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the land. But Elizabeth says, blessed are you who believed. You know, it's, it's, it's the gift of the divine gift of faith. So, and from there on, it moves on and gets enriched. So, if 
in the Annunciation, Mary discovers her divine vocation. She had to live it afterwards by faith, without delays, without making excuses, without human reasonings. So that it can really be said, blessed are you who believed. So maybe we can incorporate more Marian piety, like the rosary, in our daily life. Make this part of our daily life. And uh, she will help us to develop a true sense of beauty. Not merely one of appearances, not merely one of looks or superficiality. Discover that divine grammar in your life. And uh, that will be expressed in, in fidelity, is what happened to our, our Blessed Mother, fidelity. You know, we, we, we must never jump ship from our divine vocation, but grow in magnanimity. You know, we, we saw a movie here some time ago where there was a uh, story of a, a ship where a big, large tanker of some kind and uh, the captain of a ship uh, entered in a storm and with the direction of the winds and the rains uh, and the sun, you know, he, he got kind of lost and, uh, and uh, in the end, they ended up drifting into very, very dangerous waters and the captain of the ship, of course, was the one responsible and... Uh, and the, the tanker was the tanker was called the SS Pendleton, and uh, in the end it it split in two in this storm off Cape Cod in, in New England, and uh, the Coast Guard came out to rescue the survivors on the half ship that was left, the rest of it had been broken up, and some of them wanted to abandon this large ship and go into life rafts and, and wait for the Coast Guard to come and, and save them. But one sailor who had experience, he knew that these little lifeboats would get smashed against uh, the rocks and so forth. So, so he manually sort of guided or steered the, the sinking stern into a submerged reef. And it lodged there until the rescuers arrived and with literally with a horn and very other means they managed to get rescued but he refused to jump ship he, he did not want to jump ship and we too with our divine call with God what God has entrusted us let's never never jump ship and uh, well that's why we invoke Our Lady Queen of Heaven, the Ocean Star, Guide of the Wonder, here below. She'll, she'll intercede for us so that, you know, even though there may be turbulent waters in our oceans of life, she'll guide us like that, that ocean star. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.